did not recognize or understand my first major depression. The second time round, I just felt shame at having let it happen again. Hi there, I am Kate. I am a fit pro and a mental health therapist on a mission to help you feel sassy, sexy, and strong. This episode will be a discussion about depression, so I encourage you to pay attention to your boundaries. If you know this topic could trigger you and you don't feel you're in a space to manage that right now, please respect those boundaries and you can choose not to listen or to stop or pause listening at any time. You might prefer to start with my polyvagal series for a deeper understanding of your nervous system, or if you need to take a break from this episode and have a little bit of a feel-good listen, my second ever podcast episode was called You're Still On, Keep Riding, and that is designed as a pep you up type episode. None of my episodes are ever meant as a replacement for professional personalized guidance. So if you need more immediate help, please Google a crisis line in your area or consider connecting with a mental health provider who can be there for you specifically. Now let's have a quick squirrel detour here. If you've listened before, you know I love my squirrel detours. (laughs) And look at some analogies for deciding if, when, what is best for you in terms of seeking counseling. I have personally never understood why we go to the gym to maintain our physical health, like why people walk in and out of gyms proudly and like a badge of honor, day after day, some people literally daily. And yet we don't consider therapy as maintenance for mental health. We tend to use it like the emergency auto mechanic when smoke starts coming out of the engine. Now, I'm not oblivious to the financial barriers and differences between a gym and a counselor, but even people who have coverage or no lack of money can feel these stigmas around mental health. There are online options as well that are more affordable and actually much more in line with a gym membership these days. So money aside, maybe check if there are biases in you about what it means to seek counseling. Now I'm going to give you, I said I was going to give you some quick analogies and I'm going to base these on physical examples because we grow up being taught to notice and tend to physical wounds, but we are not taught how to recognize or soothe emotional injuries or even to consider them as something that needs attention. So scenario one and a warning that I will be mentioning physical injuries here. Let's say you had an injury causing large amounts of blood loss or that was threatening your vital organs you would get to the ER like right away, right? A major crisis or suicidal thoughts are the mental equivalent of that and they need to be treated with equal importance. So again, suicide crisis hotlines exist because you are not alone in whatever you are going through. You will never be judged on whether or not your reason for calling is valid. Please use them, they're like the ER. Scenario two, let's imagine you had a broken leg or say ongoing digestive distress, or if you'd had a bad fall and you just wanted to get checked out for possible unseen injuries. Well, you might go to the ER, but you would expect a wait time and a follow-up with your doctor, or you might just go to the doctor or naturopath right away. The mental equivalent here is that a sudden, like imagine a sudden derailment in the normal routine of your life or an ongoing issue that is slowly bringing you down. Like, do we all remember the global pandemic? (laughs) One-on-one live counseling would be appropriate here. It would be like going to the doctor. 
But just like you wouldn't expect your broken leg to be healed overnight or to even be as good as new the instant it comes out of the cast, you probably won't experience instant relief from your mental injuries either. Counseling takes time and that's okay. Now scenario three is like, let's say you had a persistent fever or a worrisome wart. You might book an appointment with a doctor for sure. You might call the nurse's hotline. The mental equivalent, if it feels like it would fall into this sort of category, there is no reason you can't use one-on-one -on -one counseling, but you might also be okay with self-guided journeys like listening to podcasts such as these. So I hope that's given you maybe a little bit of a different perspective on equating physical injuries with just as much importance as our mental injuries and when it might be the right time for you to seek counseling. That's always going to be a very personal decision. And like I said, I am a firm believer <laughs> that we go to the gym to maintain our physical bodies and there doesn't necessarily have to be some horrible thing going on in our lives that we won't benefit from counseling, mental health therapy. I, I be truly believe that can be like the gym for your mind. An important note that I want to make though is that it's very common for us as humans to minimize what we are going through and decide we should just be able to manage it ourselves. You've probably experienced this with a physical injury like, oh no, it's not a big deal, but then somebody convinces you, you know what, you really should get that checked out. We do the same thing with our mental injuries, probably even I'm going to say a little bit more so. Like we're very likely to whatever's mentally going on for us just say, eh, it's not that a big deal. I should be able to just manage on my own. But counseling is not meant to be a last resort. Again, I believe counseling should be offered on a regular basis as part of any healthcare plan so that all of us can just function more optimally within the world. It does tend to be this thing that we seek out once things have gotten to the point of unbearable. And if you're thinking, yep, that's me, that's, that's okay. It's not something to be ashamed of. And honestly, it's great that there comes a point where you can recognize there's a problem and take steps to change it. It's just that how great would it be if we were taught to recognize our emotional injuries earlier and know how to treat them. So I have an emergency first aid kit, but it's an emotional first aid kit. And it's a PDF. I'm going to link to that in the show notes. So this can be a digital thing. It can be have actual physical components or a mixture of both, but it's exactly what it sounds like. It's things to help you treat emotions in the same way that we would use creams or band-aids to help heal paper cuts, scrape knees, minor burns. Okay, so I'll put that in the show notes. Now back to our fun topic of the day, depression and fitness. Here's a fucked up fun fact for you. Did you know, once you have experienced depression, it becomes more likely that you will experience it again? Now, I don't want that to be a scary thing, although I'm sure it's going to sound horrifying. But the other side of that is that if you've already experienced it once, you will have more experience with managing it in subsequent experiences. So if you've had it before, you survived it before. Logically, you will know things changed. No matter what else is going through your head, you have proof that, that you got out the other side, that things changed, which means they can change again the next time. 
None of that is to diminish the very real pain and suffering of depression, whether it's the first time or the fifth time you've experienced it, nor is it to suggest that it's easier if it happens in subsequent times. It's not easier. It might even be harder. But you have proof from this, the previous times that it didn't last forever. Even though in the moment you're in right now, it might feel like it will. And even though your brain might be doing its very best to convince you why last time isn't relevant to this time, or that it was a fluke that you got out of depression last time, you couldn't possibly do it again. Your brain's really good at stuff like that. It doesn't mean your brain is telling you the truth. So I often say in my fitness classes that your brain will lie, your body rarely does. And maybe it isn't fair to say that your brain lies so much as your brain often misinterprets, which means every thought you have, no matter how true it feels, is a story that may or may not be true. There is a logical way to address and challenge thoughts. It's called CBT, Cognitive Behavioral Therapy. And I have an episode called ANTS, which are automatic negative thoughts. <laughs> so CBT and then ANTS, the automatic negative thoughts. That's the podcast episode that you might want to listen to. In this episode, I'm going to deal a bit more with managing our body so that we can have access to the logical part of our brain. It's really hard to be logical when our nervous system is in a panic protective mode. Now, depression might not feel like how we imagine panic, right? We, we think of panic, we associate that with a flurry of chaotic activity, maybe, like a tornado. Whereas depression feels like the opposite of a tornado. But depression is a protective state. It might feel like you're slightly removed from that storm tornado or like watching it from the sidelines or maybe from above in disbelief maybe the best analogy is it maybe feels like you're in the eye of that storm in the eye of the tornado and you have nowhere to go without getting swept away and so you just don't move depression is shut down depression is conservation and if it's the first go-round with depression you don't have the personal experience proof that there is anything on the other side of the storm, that there is a way out. Either way, whether it's the first time or a subsequent time, it's easy to think of this freeze state as giving up, which that thought, by the way, is a fantastic way to add some shame and guilt into the mix. But if you are listening to this, there is space in your mind for alternative thoughts or you wouldn't be here. So here's an alternative thought. Resting is different than giving up. And in depression, your body is saying, I'm scared we don't have the resources to move away from where we are. So I'm going to make you want to stay put, to rest, to conserve the resources that we do have until we have more to work with. Your body is doing the exact opposite of giving up. Your body is literally fighting for your life by making sure you don't run out of resources or run into a situation before you have the tools you need. And even though the tools we need in this analogy, they might be sitting right beside us, but that storm whirling around could be stirring up dust and we just can't see those tools and resources. And even if we do have them in our hands, we might not know how to use them. And even if we have them in our hands and we know how to use them, 
we might not be strong enough yet to use them. And because we feel stuck and maybe hopeless, we don't like that feeling and we don't feel strong enough to deal with it, there is a tendency sometimes to try and numb ourselves. I myself have self-medicated with pot and alcohol and reckless sex. I'm not saying that's the way to go. I just want you to know I've been there. I want you to hear me on two points very clearly if numbing is something that you have found yourself doing. You might also be numbing with food. Food is a very common um, tool to numb ourselves. So the first thing I want you to hear, one, there is no shame in anything that has helped you survive. I'm going to say that again. There is no shame in anything that has helped you survive. Take a moment with that. Accept that your brain might put up resistance to that idea, and that's okay. And know that your brain has always had one goal, one tunnel visioned, sorry, your body has had one goal. Your body has had one tunnel visioned more important than anything else goal. Keep you alive. If you are alive, it has done its job. You were always doing the best you could with the tools, the knowledge, and the strength that you had at that time. The second thing I would love for you to hear me about on numbing is that numbing is a form of flight, a type of escape. Flight is a different type of protective state than freeze, but it's proof that you are in fact trying to move out of depression by artificially inducing a change. It is proof that you have in fact not given up. Now I cannot stress enough the many different ingredients that can be involved in creating depression in the first place. There is no end to the ways two people can have similar experiences or backgrounds or DNA and only one of them experiences depression. Oftentimes it is linked to trauma or abuse, but not always. And that can be just as hard. I mean, if a person has experienced abuse or trauma, we understand how that can have a negative effect and we can point at it and say, there, that's why. You fought so hard and been through so much already. But meanwhile, you might be taking that same information and using it against yourself from a different perspective. Like you might be saying, if I survived all that stuff, I should be able to deal with feeling a little bit down for fuck's sakes. What's wrong with me that I can't snap out of this? Which is a great way to highlight how our thoughts are stories that may or may not be true. And then if we go on to the flip side of that coin, and if by all measurable measures it seems like everything in our life has gone well, there, there isn't this trauma or abuse to point at, that that's why I'm depressed, well, then we tend to beat ourselves up for daring to be ungrateful enough to have depression in the first place. It doesn't seem to matter what the cause is, we can find a way to make it not okay that we are depressed. Which again is another way our thoughts help keep us stuck. So I want to assure you, sorry, I want to assure you right now that having depression does not mean you are weaker or less capable. In fact, you are incredibly strong. It takes great strength and ingenuity to get through life with depression. Imagine two people climbing a mountain, fairly equal in most ways, but one of them is carrying a hundred pound pack. 
Imagine how that might affect their ability to climb. Imagine how strong the person with the pack is just for being on that mountain in the first place. Depression is a weight that you carry with you, and I am so proud of you for carrying it this far. But would you like to lighten your load? Would you like a hand to pull you along a little ways? Admitting depression and asking for help is the hardest and bravest thing you can do. I heard this thing once that courage is doing what you have to do because you have to do it, like a pilot landing a plane if the engine has failed. You don't think about being courageous, it just, you're in that situation and it happens. Bravery is doing something courageous when you have a choice, like say skydiving out of a perfectly good plane. Now I'm not saying you have to skydive to be brave, I'm saying it's a choice we make. And if you are this far into this podcast, then I promise you, you are already braver than you give yourself credit for. You are making a choice to be here. The first time I called a counselor, it took me three tries and an unimaginable, an unimaginable amount of shaking, sobbing, snot and tissues, heart racing, internal screams of panic. All I had to do was call and book an appointment. But what that represented and the unknown of what would happen after was terrifying. Once it was done, it actually got less scary. Fear wasn't completely gone, but there was something else with it. There was a blissful break from helplessness and this floaty feeling of hope. Hope is the defining factor, the essential element. So this episode is about giving you more hope, more belief, more trust in yourself. The hope that you can do this. The first thing is to bring awareness that your thoughts and behaviors do have an actual impact on your experience because many times we feel like nothing helps. So I'm going to give you this mental exercise to try, but I want to put a big disclaimer in here that I'm going to be talking about potential ways you could feel worse. So if this is not feeling like the right time for you to be having those thoughts, then then feel free to use that opportunity, that right that you have to stop listening or to pause listening, um, to listen with someone else if you feel like that would be more helpful or productive for you. If you are feeling like, yeah, I can give myself the green light to keep listening, then we're gonna try the $10 million test. So here's how it goes. And, and yeah, I'm going to be talking about ways to feel worse, but the, then there is going to be a, there's going to be another side of that coin too. Okay, so the $10 million test. If someone offered you $10 million to make yourself feel more depressed for half an hour, could you do it? And if you feel like, yeah, someone's going to give me $10 million, hell yeah, I can make myself feel more depressed for half an hour. What would you do to make sure that happened? Now, I'm sure you can think of some things. Isolating yourself in a dark room, watching sad movies, listening to sad songs, ruminating over things, drinking maybe. Now, I'm not going to say to you, well, just do the opposite of those things and everything will be fine. If it was that simple, you would have done it, right? But what I'm going to ask is, if with enough motivation, 
you could find a way to make yourself more depressed for half an hour than you currently are, what do you think that means about your ability to affect your mood? Is it possible that you might have more influence than you have let yourself believe? Now, sometimes people consider this for a moment and come to the conclusion that they've actually been doing the $10 million test every day for free. Some people question whether it's like, yeah, but I'm on a one-way path sort of thing. Like, yes, I could make it worse, but I can't backtrack and make it better. So it's true, we can't go back in time. But rather than thinking of getting to the end of the path and landing in this blissful oasis that you stay in forever, think of the path as offering different views, depending on which way you look. Offering different detours that maybe sometimes are hard to see, but it doesn't mean they aren't there. Just because I'm experiencing the path in this depressed way right now, and I'm good at experiencing it this way, doesn't mean up ahead things will be worse. They might be. They might also be better and then they might suck again. We can't control everything about the path, but we can control how we interact with the path. That said, I fully acknowledge that it may not feel that way and that doing the opposite of all those things you just thought of, um, it, like those things that would get you that $10 million, that just doing the opposite of those things, maybe even if you do them, it doesn't seem to make a difference for you which, by the way, is a nifty side effect of depression. So things that used to make you feel good or that should make you feel good, I used air quotes there, they simply don't. That's part of the protective feature your body has, that let's just stay where we are thing. You can think of it like your body being convinced that when there's actually positives in front of you, they're not real. It's like a mirage, so why bother moving towards it? <laughs> It commonly takes quite a few attempts for things to have an impact, meaning you can make yourself feel worse easily, but it, it might be harder to make yourself feel better. You might have to have a little bit of faith and continue without getting immediate rewards. But more is not necessarily better. So as counterintuitive as it may seem, People with depression are often overly optimistic when it comes to goals. We set targets for ourselves that are ambitious and then feel worse when we can't meet those impossible standards. Maybe it was possible at a different time, but they're not now. So when you're plotting out what you can do to walk down that path of feeling better, go ahead and dream big. Then plan for the minimum that you think you could do on your worst day. Doing tiny things and celebrating that you did them will get you farther than planning tons of stuff and beating yourself up for, I'm using air quotes, air quotes, failing. Plus, remember, your body is literally in conservation mode. It does not have the resources to do tons. Even little things are going to take energy, and that's okay. Little things will also build strength. You have had to be so incredibly strong to survive the cold of depression already. There often isn't much left for other things. So imagine you've been holding a plank, essentially staying still. So we call the plank depression. How much effort and energy does that take? 
a lot, right? And then if you break that stillness to go and do something else, you might actually need a moment to catch your breath. Holding a plank makes you better at holding a plank. And I want to be clear <laughs> that holding a plank is not going to lead to depression or make you more depressed or um, it's not really equated with this depression. I'm using it as an analogy. So holding a plank makes you better at holding a plank. It does not make you better at running a marathon. So if we've gotten good at depression, we're not going to be good at marathon running right away. And yes, I'm going to tie all this in with fitness in just a moment. But first, is this making sense? Number one, awareness that you may have more control of changing what you're going through than you have been able to feel up until this point. Number two, practice doing tiny things towards feeling better without expecting immediate proof that it is working. Three, having compassion for yourself that it takes strength to survive and you have survived. One of my favorite sayings is, you can't leave a place you've never arrived at. It's okay to admit depression. It's okay to admit you have not been coping optimally. Once you drop the weight of shoulds, it's amazing how much energy and time you have to actually move. And I'm gonna talk about moving in the literal sense of physical activity for your body, which we know helps change the mind. I know that you may have individual barriers to exercise, anything from mindset or past trauma around exercise to financial or physical obstacles. What I do with trauma-informed fitness is give you ways to work with your body starting from wherever you are without judgment, meeting yourself where you're at. I have a 90-day online journey which will take you step-by-step step through discovering what works best for you and your body. It's called Fierce as Fuck, and I will put a link in the show notes. I'm also going to put a link to a free PDF that will give you exercise guidelines for depression. As you might guess, it involved, involves doing little bits at a time. So if you were literally holding a plank, I would suggest do it for five seconds, then take a five second break or maybe a 10 second break little snippets of time. If you have plans to go outside and go for a walk, because outside is, by the way, a fabulous resource for surviving depression, set the goal small. Set the goal for putting on your shoes, opening the door, and stepping outside. Like, that's the goal. Practice that for a while. And if that isn't happening, it isn't because there's something wrong with you. It's because you've learned that that is still too much for where you are right now. And you can't leave a place you've never arrived at. So have compassion about the reality. Okay, that's too much. Get curious about what is doable. Because we, again, <laughs> we tend to overestimate from a place of depression. So what you think you could do, your minimum you could do on your worst day might be overly optimistic when it actually comes down to it. That's okay. You're going to learn. So maybe starting with the goal of putting on your shoes, maybe that's the goal. Find the minimum you can do on your worst day. Do that. Then celebrate the shit out of it. If you come down on yourself for what didn't happen, it will be harder to want to bother next time. If you give yourself kudos for what you did do, it's easier to bother the next time. Not easy, 
easier. And yes, I know your brain might tell you it's ridiculous to celebrate I put my shoes on. I will say again, every thought you have is a story that may or may not be true. And a depressed brain is working hard to get you to stay right where you are. If it might be true that celebrating little things is ridiculous, it might also be true that celebrating little things is helpful. There's a story out there about a guy who put on his gym clothes every day, drove to the gym, walked in, then turned around and went home. Never did a single stitch of exercise every day for about six weeks. The day he started doing something at the gym was the day he felt like he had created a habit of just getting to the gym and he knew how to talk himself out of the reasons for not going. The best thing you can do for anything with depression is to make it easier for yourself, and that includes fitness. Maybe don't commit to just 20 minutes a day for 21 days when you're also dealing with depression. Maybe get curious about the minimum that you can do on your worst day and practice doing that until it feels dialed in. If you do more on any given day, then great, but you're not aiming for 1% better every single day. You can have a super high energy day and then do your minimum again. Celebrate your minimum no matter what. At this point, I firmly believe there is no right or wrong exercise for you to do other than what works for your body on that day and is something that either brings you some enjoyment or is something that you know used to bring you enjoyment in the past. If you have nothing in your past, start with walking outside if possible. Try adding music to whatever you choose to do. Once you find something, my suggestion is stick with that thing for a while rather than trying to change it up all the time. I can't say for certain that is the right thing for you because I am not the expert of you, but steady and predictable usually feels good in depression and we need to meet ourselves where we're at because you can't leave a place you've never arrived at. I'm not saying you'll stay with that same thing forever for the rest of your life. I'm saying that in order to start making a shift and to become more consistent from a place of depression, steady and cons or, what did I call it? Predictable. That's, that's the key word. Steady and predictable is what will most likely feel better than trying new, new, new every day. Has this been helpful? Has this made sense? If it has, please hit that follow or like so that you will get notified of new episodes. And as a side bonus, it really helps boost the podcast. If you know someone that might benefit from this, please consider sharing. I'm going to remind you that I'm putting the emotional first aid kit into the notes, the show notes, and a link for the PDF on exercise for depression and a link to my 90-day online journey to reconnecting with your body. So all that in the show notes. Thank you for listening. As always, you're still on. Keep riding.